Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Okay, let's turn to Mark chapter 1 and read this last paragraph. We've gone through a collection of Jesus' miracles in this chapter, beginning at verse 21. And this is, this is the last one. It's the culmination of this series of miracles of Jesus in this chapter. There's many more that we'll be looking at, but in this chapter, this is sort of the climax, I would call it. This is the healing of a man afflicted with the disease of leprosy. And a leopard came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him, or warned him, and sent him away at once. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every corner. This miracle is recorded by the other Gospels as well. Matthew and Luke both record this healing of Jesus, of a leper. In another healing, there were ten lepers who Jesus healed all ten of them at one time, but only one returned to give him thanks. So this is a beautiful passage again that shows us something about Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at it as a preparation for the Lord's Supper this morning. So a leper, lepros in Greek, came to him. This is a, clearly a person who had the disease of leprosy. And in the ancient world, this was incurable. It is curable today. It's called Hansen's disease. They do have medication that can eradicate this. But believe it or not, there's still thousands of people afflicted with leprosy in the world. The island Molokai had a leper colony. Pretty interesting. It ended in 1969. I remember growing up in a church uh, as a kid, and there were the missionaries that came every year. Paul and Beulah Mason, I still remember their name. And they were from Bolivia. And he practiced dentistry. He was not a dentist, but he practiced dentistry. He had some training on lepers in a leper colony in Bolivia. This is how he spent his missionary years. So this is, this is a hideous disease, 
And I've given a picture uh, up on the screen of a young girl. Uh, Many of you know Scott Swanson from your previous church, Scott and Miriam. Scott has a younger brother. His youngest brother is Tim. And Tim and his wife are missionaries in the Philippines. And Tim is in uh, communion with some other pastors that are in his area. And this couple were part of the community of another church. And they enclose this picture of Lida. I thought she was a child, but it happens to be she's 20 years old. And that's her husband standing with her. But she's got leprosy. And they were having a hard time getting the medication to treat her. But this is a terrible disease. It's inside the body. It goes throughout the body. And it shows itself primarily in like the disintegration of the fingers and the toes. It, er- it erodes the bone structure. It disfigures a person. And someone that's had this for years really looks terrible. It's unbelievable. And this was a fatal disease in the Old Testament. And there's two chapters in the Old Testament given to the priests of Israel. This is in the book of Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14. And these are instructions for the priests of Israel to be able to diagnose leprosy among the Israelites. What, how they would appear, what their skin would look like. So there's a way of examining a person. This is all in Leviticus. And then it tells the regulations, how you're to treat a leper. And then in the 14th chapter especially, it has if a leper is ever cleansed. The Bible doesn't speak about healing leprosy. It speaks about cleansing leprosy. And somebody that was cleansed of this disease then had to go through a ritual of purification and cleansing, offering uh, sacrifices and so on. So it really, some have said it was uh, a living death to have this disease. Painful, debilitating, and so on. But here's a few things to know about leprosy based on the Old Testament to give you some idea of what the background is to this. They had to be quarantined. That's why there's leper uh, colonies. These people were to be put in a separate area, isolated from the rest of the population. This was included in Moses' instructions to the priests. They were to live outside of towns. They were ostracized from their family, from their home. So they lived in a very secluded world. And they were avoided and ignored by people. And really, these are the outcasts of society, a leper. Something else is that you are forbidden to touch them because Hansen's disease is contagious. And so they couldn't be touched. They were not to touch somebody and you weren't to touch them. They were forbidden to go near people. They had to stand at a distance. And then finally, they had to make themselves known... By the way they dressed, they had to dress in ragged clothes and look very unkempt. And they had to say, unclean, unclean. So they had to give a warning, a verbal warning, if they saw people who were not lepers and they were approaching. These are the rules from the Word of God. 
So they lived a very pitiful and miserable life, which is an understatement. We just can't even imagine what it was like for a leper. So it brought deep emotional pain and anguish to a leper to live like this. Can you imagine the despair, the hopelessness? Because there was no cure. This is going to kill you. The rejection and the alienation that attended this disease was dreadful. So a leper, notice, came to him right off. He's violating the law. He came to Jesus. He didn't approach him from a distance. He actually came up to the Lord Jesus Christ close enough that Jesus is going to touch him. He came to Jesus... And in violation, and notice, he implores him. He falls to his knees. He's desperate. Falls to his knees and implores Jesus, Lord, he doesn't address him Lord here, but you can make me clean if you will, if you're willing. So he he very much believes in the power of Christ. He's sure that Jesus has the power to change his life and transform him and deliver him from this disease. He's fully convinced, but he's stuck on one thing. He's not sure about Jesus' willingness. After all, this disease was considered by many as a punishment for sin. In the Old Testament, there's three individuals who suddenly got leprosy because of sin. Moses' sister, Miriam, in Numbers chapter 12. Now, the Lord took it away immediately, but she got leprosy. And then she was healed of it. But that was because she rose up with her brother Aaron against the authority of Moses, something she should not have done. And then there's Gehazi, Gehazi in 2 Kings 5, and then there's King Uzziah. All these people were afflicted with leprosy as a punishment for sin. So this man may have thought because of the nature of his disease and that it may have been punishment for sin, he didn't know, that maybe Jesus was not willing to heal him. He wasn't, he wasn't sure. He wasn't confident. He knew he could. If you're willing, Lord, you can. But notice that he he totally submits to Jesus' will. It's a good place to be, Lord, if you're willing. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He'll submit to it, whatever the outcome is, but he's taken the risk. He wants to be healed. You know, this is, this is the question that many of us have had about asking the Lord for healing. It's the same question. We know God and the Lord Jesus Christ can heal us, can heal our loved ones. But we get stuck on that. Is he willing to? Is, is it his will to heal them? Because we read the New Testament, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
So we know that our request has to be within, it has to accord with the will of God. What is God's plan here? Does God want this person, our loved one, to be healed? And so we're, we're stuck sort of in the same place as the leper. Lord, if you're willing, you can heal this person. But I want to ask this question. Can you produce an example of anyone in the New Testament that came to Jesus Christ with a need and he said no to them? There's no example. He never said, I'm not willing to anyone. We find people are unwilling to come to him. The rich young ruler was unwilling to sell his riches give up his riches and follow Christ. It's always on man's side, the unwillingness, but never with him. So that gives us great hope. And there's a reason why that's true of him in the New Testament. There's no example of Jesus turning anyone away because he was unwilling. Now let me focus on the word clean. If you will, you can make me clean. Now, he means heal, of course. He he wants to be free of the disease, but it's put in terms of being clean. And there's a reason why it's like that. Because leprosy happens to be a picture of the plague of sin that plagues the human race. This comes out very beautifully in David's psalm of repentance. Remember, David was guilty of murder and adultery. He had a woman's wife killed who he took as his own wife, Bathsheba. And he had Uriah killed on the front lines in warfare in order to get him out of the picture. David committed a dreadful sin. The dual sin of murder and adultery. He went one year without confessing it. He tried to hide it until Nathan the prophet came in, told him the story and said, you are the man. And brought conviction to King David. Well, Psalm 51 is the record of David's repentance. And Christians throughout the ages have found that psalm to be the perfect psalm when they have been reduced to repentance for sin in their life and to make that their own prayer. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions and wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Well, down in verse 7, he's repeating this theme of being forgiven and being washed. Those are two different things that happen in the life of the believer. We need to be forgiven. That has to do with God erasing our guilt from the record book. We need our guilt expunged from God's record book, the guilt that would condemn us and punish us. But David also talks about the personal experience of being washed. He says, I want to be washed. Blot out my transgressions, but wash me. And he repeats that three or four. Three or four times in Psalm 51 about being washed. In verse 7, he puts it like this. Purge me with hyssop 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Well, in Leviticus 14, part of the ritual of cleansing the leper was to take hyssop and to sprinkle a mixture of blood and clean water on the leper. So David is giving us the symbolism, right out of the book of Leviticus, that he sees himself as a spiritual leper there. He has the plague of sin, and his sin of adultery and murder is an evidence of this plague in his life. And he wants God to cleanse him and to wash him and to make him whole again. And we need that as well. And so the New Testament beautifully says, if we confess our sins, listen to this promise. It's beautiful. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it is. Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. Those are two different things. We need both. I want that personal cleansing. I want my, my conscience washed. I want God to wash away this filth that I've contaminated myself with. As well as to remove my guilt from the record book that would otherwise condemn me. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So, a leper comes to Jesus in verse 45. Now, secondly, in verse 41 and 42, notice Jesus' compassionate response. Jesus' compassionate response. Moved with pity. Here is a a totally miserable, suffering human being. And this move... The sight of this man coming to him and falling on his face before Jesus, imploring him. The Lord Jesus Christ was moved in the depth of his being with compassion. This is the sympathy of Christ that we have seen in this this first chapter of Mark. His sympathy that he feels along with the suffering of people. He just doesn't have empathy. Many of us have empathy. That is, we can say, I I can understand how you feel. But we don't have those same feelings. But when we have sympathy, which the Bible says Jesus has, Hebrews chapter 4, we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us. Sympatheo means he has a fellow feeling. He feels the same. He feels the pain, the agony, the anguish, the desperation of this man. And so he's moved to the depths of his being by the sight of this man in front of him. He didn't didn't walk away from him. He didn't say, hold off, stay right there, don't come near me. He did the unthinkable. He reached out his hand and touched him. You know, a human being needs to be touched. We are all desperate for human touch and affection. But if you're a leper, you're deprived of that. You're deprived of the human touch. And no telling how long this man had never been touched by another human being. Only Jesus knew. Only Jesus knew. 
This is the touch of compassion, and it's the touch of power. It's the touch of compassion and power. And he says, I will. I will be clean. So he, the Lord Jesus Christ, he just had to exercise his will. He just had to say, let it be done as God. And the man was cleansed. So he granted a a cure with the exercise of his will. Now the priest, the Old Testament priest and the priest in Jesus' day, he's told to go to the priest. So what the priest did, if if a, a former leper came to the priest and said, I think I'm cleansed now, I think I'm healed, the priest would have to examine him and then he'd make a pronouncement, yes, you're clean. Jesus, on the other hand, he just made the declaration, I will, and the man was clean. Big difference between what the priest could do and what Jesus Christ could do for the leper. Notice what the text says, verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately. Immediately he was disease-free. This is what the cancer patient wants to hear. They've been afflicted with cancer. They've gone through all the therapies. And finally, after a long time, they come out on the other end and the doctor says, you know, you're in remission. Yeah, you don't, no sign of your disease now. Great relief, but you're never quite sure. Well, there's no question here about this man. This disease was gone. He was cleansed. And just think, it happened instantly. It was a miracle. It didn't take any time. He didn't have to wait through the weekend or to, for the next Sabbath in order for this cure to finally take a... Right then and there, he was cleansed. And if he had any deformity, if he had lost his fingers, if you look at what leprosy does to the digits, the fingers and the toes... It's, it's terrible. They lose them. They dissolve. They disintegrate over time with this disease. The Lord Jesus had to completely restore his body to full health. If he was disfigured, all of that changed and he looked normal again. He was free. He didn't feel any pain. It didn't cost him anything. This was free of charge. Think of that. As all of Jesus' healings were. They were instant, pain-free. It was a perfect healing in every way. It was amazing. Now, thirdly, in verses 43 to 45, Jesus... Sends him away. He tells him what he's not to do and what he is to do. He's very specific here. And then we're told what the man does. It's a little surprising in some ways, but not surprising in another way. So let's look at 43 to 45. Now Jesus warns him. 
The language here in the original is very strong. He, we have it uh, in the English. He sternly charged him. He warned him. Tell no one nothing is what it reads in the original. It's a double negative. It's very strong. Tell no one nothing. Why did he tell him that? Wouldn't Jesus have wanted him to tell everyone of his cure and garner more attention for the Lord Jesus Christ? No, that was not Jesus' character. Remember, we saw it last time. The prophecies in the Old Testament about the servant of the Lord, he was, he was very reserved. He didn't lift up his voice in the streets and start screaming and shouting at people, getting everybody's attention. No, the Lord Jesus Christ did not seek notoriety. He didn't seek fame. He did not promote himself ever. No self-promotion like many in our day do who are Christians. It's revolting to me personally, the self-promotion of some. Well, Jesus silences him. He imposes silence again. This is something that recurs throughout Mark's gospel. Jesus tells them, don't say anything. Remember, he silenced the demons. When the demons wanted to confess who he was, he said, told them to be silent. Shut up. Don't say anything. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ wanted. He wanted to sort of keep a lid on his identity it wasn't ready. There would have been political implications for all of Israel to start declaring the Messiah was here, who they believed was going to be a political deliverer of sorts, and it would have caused a lot of trouble with Rome and all of that. None of that. The Lord Jesus was very wise in the way he went about this. And he wanted this man to just go straight he had to go to Jerusalem to do this, by the way. He had to go to the priest in the temple. This is up in Galilee. So he sent him to Jerusalem to go show yourself to the priest. Notice Jesus says, Say nothing to no one, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. That's all Exodus 14. Quite a ritual, if you read it. I went back and read it last night. You know, there's several things involved for the cleansing of a leper. Notice how Jesus wanted to follow the ceremonial law at this point. He's not casting the law overboard. He's following it here. As long as it was in force, he followed it. And he's having the leper go to Jerusalem, go through the ritual of cleansing. Now, why did he tell him to do that? Because in order to re-enter society as a previous person with the disease of leprosy, he needed this official recognition from the priesthood that he was clean. People wouldn't believe it unless he had this validation from the priest who would examine him. And notice uh, it was so rare that somebody would get over this disease that Jesus said, go and do this as a proof to him. In other words, you're probably going to encounter some skepticism down in Jerusalem about your healing. They're not going to believe it. But show yourself, let him examine you, and then offer the appropriate sacrifices for your cleansing. Not for your healing, for your cleansing. 
that you're purified from this disease. But now notice verse 45. Does he obey Jesus? No, he does not obey Jesus. But you know, you can understand why. He's so excited with his new life. He's been transformed. He's a new man. He's a new creature, literally. His body has been liberated from leprosy. He can't keep quiet. I like the language. You know what's interesting about this language? But he went out and he began to talk freely. The word in the original is he proclaimed, he preached. He preached. He was proclaiming this to everyone. And notice, and to spread the news... To spread abroad the word, literally, is what it is in the original. The, you know what this is? These are terms from the book of Acts, actually, that describe the ministry of the apostles and the church in spreading the gospel. Same terms. In other words, the former leper became a missionary. You know, when you're touched by Jesus Christ and he heals you of the disease of sin, not necessarily if we were afflicted with a dreadful disease. Many people have been become Christians who were healed of miraculous. But generally, we say it's people who have been touched by him in a spiritual sense. They've been healed of the disease of sin to an extent. We're not free yet entirely of this affliction, but we're on our way. And he's removed our guilt. He's washed us of our sins and continues to do so. You, you can't keep quiet about it. You've got to talk about it. You've got to tell other people. This is very naturally what people do. Everybody that's in, had a saving encounter with Jesus Christ, they want to tell other people about it. You can't keep this to yourself. And so I don't blame the leper, but he did break the law, the law of Jesus here. He's told to be quiet about it, and he just went and told everybody. Now let me wrap this up with a couple of thoughts. So notice, first of all, that Jesus did the impossible. There was a saying back then in the first century, uh, the rabbis, I won't say the first century, but the rabbis in, in the ancient world, they said to heal leprosy was as difficult as to raise the dead. So that gives you an idea of how the disease was. It was impossible to heal, to cure, to cleanse. And they put it on the same level as bringing somebody back from the dead. Maybe it happens once in, you know... Very, very, very rarely. I'm sure they saw some lepers get well. It would have been by divine power, divine intervention, and they knew that it required a lot. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he does something that is impossible here when it comes to what man can do. He did what only God can do. This tells us again who he is. So if God became a man. This is the claim that the Christian faith makes, that God became a man. 
And this man did not cease to be God, but he took a human nature and he united it with his divine nature. So he was fully God and fully man in one person forever. This is the historic Christian belief that's in the ancient confessions. Jesus fits the profile perfectly if we believe in a God-man, that God became a man. What would he look like? What would he do? What would he say? Jesus Christ fits the profile. He does exactly what we do expect. I would expect him, if he's God, to do the impossible, to do things no one else had ever done. And here we see that illustrated for us. He healed leprosy with a word. And there's one other thing I want you to think about. So notice how the, t- the passage ends. So it was good news for the man, of course. Not so good news for Jesus. It, it added to his burden of crowds. <laughs> He already had a mass following in Capernaum and Galilee. And with this man's testimony, the crowd swelled even more. So much so, the text says, Jesus, he couldn't enter into a town anymore. It was too much. It was overwhelming. There were too many people. He had to go into a more remote place and teach them on the hillsides that are just outside and around the Sea of Galilee where they believe, for example, the Sermon on the Mount was given. They have a place where they believe Jesus gave that. The acoustics are amazing. You can be down by the water and talk, and the people way up on the hillside can hear the voice. It's, a, it's amazing. I experienced that when I was there. So he, had to, he couldn't be in the towns anymore. So this was an added burden for the Lord, because he, he did not seek crowds. That wasn't his thing. Fame. Popularity. This this came with the territory of working miracles because a miracle worker has never been at a loss for gathering people together. I mean, you can instantly gather a crowd uh, if you claim to be able to heal people. So Catherine Kuhlman, Bittingham, and others like them have always filled arenas of thousands of people who would come to hear them. So this is what Jesus had to deal with. Same thing. Only people were not disappointed when they went to him. They were healed. So but here's my point. So... Of all these hundreds and perhaps thousands of people that were seeking to be close to Jesus, hear him teach, perhaps have a personal conversation with him, many could not. There were many people who couldn't. And this is because, not only of the crowds itself, but he as a man could only be in one place at a time. He had a human nature. He had a body Even though he was God, that human body limited him to being at one place at one time, just like all of us are limited in being at one place at a time. 
he, did, he was not omnipresent as a man. Omnipresence belonged to him as God the Son. As a man, here in the flesh, in the days of his humiliation, he could only be in one place at a time. Now, I'm saying that in order to bring out the importance of what Jesus told the disciples in the upper room the night before he was crucified. And he was preparing them in the upper room discourse for his departure, that he's going to leave them. This was terrible news. They didn't want to hear this. But he tells them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the comforter in my place, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, you put it like this, I, t- I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. Lord, why would you say that? I don't want you to go. I want to be with you. No, Jesus says, he's trying to help them to understand, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. So the the beautiful thing is, is that even though Jesus is no longer here with the church in the flesh, and just think of it, he was here, he'd only be able to visit one congregation at a time. But when he went back to heaven and took his human nature with him, and he's there until the second advent, he sent the Holy Spirit soon after, on the day of Pentecost, recorded for us in the book of Acts, he sent the Holy Spirit into the world, who is another comforter, another helper. And that word another is very important because it means another of the same kind. In other words, another just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit came to mediate the presence of Jesus Christ to the church so we can all experience his presence at the same time, all disciples worldwide in all places, even at the same moment, we can have his presence because of the presence of the Holy Spirit who fills the church and fills each individual believer And Jesus tells the disciples and tells us as well in those words, it's to your advantage that I go away. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so all those disappointed people in Capernaum and around Galilee who didn't get close enough to even see what Jesus really looked like, never had a personal encounter with him, there's truth that makes up for that. And that is that he has gone to heaven so that the Holy Spirit will be here in his place and can bring his presence to all people. This is why Jesus could say at the end of his great commission, as recorded by Matthew, after telling us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things that he's commanded, then he ends. And behold, I am with you until the, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now how is he with us? 
until the end of the age. It's by the Holy Spirit that he's with us. It's his spirit that he sent, who's another comforter and helper and counselor, just like he was, who's come in his place to help us in our great task of evangelizing the world. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.